0: You're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shelleck and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Hello, I'm Dan LeBlanc with White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to our presentation, Talking About Money. We know our industry can be tough to navigate and we also recognize that Canadians are programmed to never talk about our financial situation, good or bad. So this session is designed to help you get the most out of your relationship with a financial advisor and to help you get comfortable talking about money to achieve your goals. I want to introduce two of my partners at White LeBlanc, portfolio managers Josh Shalek and Colin White. Josh and Colin will be spending about 30 minutes with you today and you can reach out to any one of us uh, on the team afterwards and now i'm going to pass it over to colin and josh to get the presentation going enjoy thanks a lot for that intro dan and thanks everybody for joining us today thank you know, taking the time out of your day to spend with us that's awesome the reason we put this presentation together as dan kind of alluded to is canadians really don't like talking to their financial advisors they kind of rank it somewhere between going to the dentist and the death of a family pet, So not so high up on your list of things that you love. And there are many reasons for this, depending on the person. But uh, a big one is people just don't have the time for it. You're busy. You don't want to take time away from, from your kids, from your leisure life, from your friends to spend speaking about finances. That's not maybe the best use of your spare time, in your opinion. Other times, it could be a bit of a, a shame thing where you're, you're not um, super confident in the financial progress that you've made over time. You're a little bit disappointed in it, and therefore, you're, you're disappointed talking about it with a financial professional. Other times, it's just a confusion. Your advisor starts talking about what an inverted yield curve is or standard deviation and loses you immediately. So there are many reasons people come up with uh, to avoid talking about right? But there are also a lot of reasons why it's really important to do so. There are studies out there that show that having a financial advisor, Canadians with one, they actually achieve better financial results than those without now, I'm sure these are published by a financial advisor or a financial institution itself, so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But having the right advisor in place in your quarter can be hugely beneficial, not just from a financial perspective, but I think more importantly, for your piece of mind. So we'll give you some advice today, some pointers and talking points to make your experience with your advisor a little bit more fulfilling, give you a little bit more confidence and hopefully make it a little bit more rewarding for you as well. And it's really important uh, to invest wisely or to save wisely because the simple fact is things are going up in value over time. Things are getting more expensive. Time. Inflation is real. If you look at a basket of goods and services in 2000 that cost $100, that same basket of goods and services today, despite the fact that your big screen TV and your Amazon order are way cheaper, that same basket is 140 over $140 today. So squirreling away your money in a bank account without a real plan for it, it's, it's not really helping you accomplish your goals. You're actually losing wealth over time. So where do you begin? And, and a lot of people ask, how much money do I need to get started? And the answer, big fat to you. don't need anything to get started. If, if you have $100, $100,000, or $100 million, the answer is always going to be the same. Getting started earlier is better. And some people ask, at what age do I, do I get started? Am I old enough to get started with a plan? It could be 20, 60, or 95, our answer would be the same just to get started. The best time to form a plan is now. So your plan is going to be different depending on at what age or what stage in life that you're forming this plan. Your objectives are going to be different. There's going to be more or less precision. But the, all of these situations, no matter what it is, having a plan is better than having no plan at all. So here's our first real point of advice. When it comes to sitting down with an advisor and not to practice radical transparency, it starts with bringing up all of the questions that you may have that come to mind. So, contrary to the widely used say, some of the questions may be stupid, and that's okay. If I ask a carpenter which end of the hammer to use to drive this down, that's probably gonna be a dumb question to that carpenter. But a good advisor, good advisor is going to make you feel good about yourselves, to give you answers that make you feel more confident about the questions that you're asking. And part of that is that this advisor needs to use plain language and simple concepts to explain uh, his answers or her answers to your questions. Remember, you are client. It's up to the advisor to impress you, not the other way around. It's also important that you're bringing the info to the table about your personal situation, your financial situation, that's going to help that advisor give you financial advice. If you're not sure if something is relevant to your financial situation, let the advisor know, tell the advisor what that information is and let them decide whether it's relative, uh, relevant information. And it's not always something that's going to come natural divulging divulge all of this personal information. I spoke with a client earlier this week who's a midwife. And as I kept trying and asking more and more questions about her financial situation, she said, oh, this is really odd for me because I'm used to, in my profession, proxy being paramount and not asking exploratory questions whatsoever.
1: Now, when you're preparing to talk with your family, financial advisor, you're a, oftentimes as we get in a conversation, someone will say, oh, I didn't think to bring that or I didn't think that would be useful or... I didn't look into that before I came in. Well, no, 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 if there's a remote chance that there's, there's if it's got your name and a number on it, there's probably a scenario where your advisor is going to need that information or your real goal is to make sure you get the most out of your conversation with them. The more information you bring, then the more benefit to you, right? This is all about you getting as much as you can out of dealing with your advisor, so, so don't hold back. You no, know, and we'll, we'll go through a list of, of documents. And it, but it's funny because so we're, we're going to do two things here. I'm talking about all the stuff you can do to make the most of your trip, but I'm also going to tell you don't not talk to a financial advisor just because you don't have all this stuff. These are all things that will make the exercise better. It's not that if you don't have these things, it's worthless. It's these are the things that are going to make it better. So the things you can bring you know, is the details on your income, right? So. When, when the easiest thing to do is bring a pay stub, if that's your situation. Or maybe you're already retired and you're drawing from your assets. So in that case, a tax return is really helpful to show all the details. Uh, A solid financial advisor is going to want to see this stuff. And if you bring a whole bunch of stuff to describe your situation in detail to your advisor and they don't look at it, you're you're probably in the wrong place. Because again, there's a lot of details in documents like tax returns, pay stubs better advisor to look at, but sometimes pretty quickly look at it and say, "Oh yeah, there you go." I see something here that's important to our conversation. And it's not up to you to figure out what's important; it's up to them to guide you as to what's important. So copies of uh, recent pay stubs, you know, tax returns can be really, really useful. Details of your liabilities. Now again, you can do one of two things: you can say, "I I owe this, 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 and this," or you can put it on an email or a piece of paper. What the amounts are, the interest rates are, or you take a step further and start going back the source doc. So, if you tell me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars mortgage and your interest rate is two point five percent, that's fantastic information and that will advance the conversation. But if I actually have the mortgage document in front of me, the real number is two forty three, and I see that it's up from maturity in two years' time. And oh wait, you took a life insurance against the mortgage, and you've made some prepayments. So there's prepayments. The document can help the conversation depending on where the conversation goes. So again, don't. Not talk to a financial advisor because you don't have your warrior statement. Um, the point is, if you have it, take it. It'll, it'll help the conversation with the advisor. And the same token, details on all the assets. Again, more detail than you have, the smarter your advisor is going to look. And also, it's a bit of a test. Again, if you're bringing this information, you become really, really well prepared, and the advisor is not willing or able to, to take a look at these things, then maybe were are in the wrong spot. Copies of wills, that's something that people, I mean, will often overlook. If we're going to talk about accumulating all this wealth over your lifetime, then maybe there's going to be significant wealth left over at some point. And then the obvious question is going to be, so what do you want to do with it? Well, if you get a copy of your will, never again, financial advisors, oftentimes are involved in estates. So they've probably seen a few dozen or a couple hundred, depending on how old, do, how long the advisor's been in the business. They have some perspective. They've seen a lot of stuff go wrong. They've seen stuff go right. So, if you bring your will and you show it to the non lawyer, they're, they're not going to be reach right after drill, but they can ask trolling questions. And if something there is of interest, you should, maybe you take that back to your lawyer and bring it up to your lawyer and say, hey, this will that I did in 1972 doesn't seem to be up to snuff currently. And talk about things like well, powers of attorney and final directives and all that kind of stuff. So, again, having the document when you go see your advisor is good. And it also forces you to look at it. And maybe you haven't looked at these things in a while. So even putting this list of documents together will be instructive to yourself because maybe you haven't looked at it all in one place. Copies of life insurance is something else that can be very useful. Again, you can tell me I got $250,000 life insurance. Great. What kind of insurance is it? Well, I'm not sure. All right. I've got the source document. I'm in a much better position. And you turn to me and say, Hey, is that the right amount of right kind of insurance? Well. Plus I'm looking at actual information. It's going to be impossible for me to give you a really solid answer to that question. So these are, are, are all things that if you bring to a meeting it is going to potentially allow you to get more out of the meeting. Do not use this as a barrier to not having a meeting because that's wrong, but these are things that can make things turn out a little bit better. So things to think about. So once you've gone through putting all the information together, what's the could you contemplate before you go to an advisor? So typically, you're going to have some kind of conversation. If you're still working about uh, a retirement date or how retirement might look, is it going to be partial? Is it going to be full? You're going to have that kind of conversation.
0: The you
1: other know, the thing that's going to get, going to come to the table is what kind of lifestyle are you going to have in retirement? Do you plan to travel more, travel less, sell your home, keep your home? You know, give some thought to these things. But again, you don't have to have answers to all this. You don't have to have answers to any of it, but it's worthwhile spending some time contemplating it, pour yourself a cup of coffee, glass of wine, shot of scotch, whatever is going to loosen yourself up to think about these things and have, have that conversation with yourself around because you other before you talk to your advisor. Again, you don't have to have conclusions, but it is useful to have the conversation. Does your will reflect your wishes? Again, if you have not looked at your will since 1972, well, there's a good chance that it may or may not still be valid and your my executor has already passed away, so that doesn't work. Does your will still reflect your current wishes, right? And again, if the answer to that is, I don't know, that's a fine answer. But there's lots of people who don't know, and a good advisor can work with that. We'll, we'll flag it, we'll pop in a future conversation. Upcoming major expenses. Think about it over the next five years. I want to replace the cover, replace the roof. There's a major trip I want to take my family on to work in if, if there's a major expense that's outside of the normal, put it on the table, because that's important when it comes to developing an investment strategy. When is this money going to be needed? Now I'll point out here, i will probably come up later again. The whole idea of financial advisor saying. Give me all your money. And you're never getting it back. You should keep this best for the long term. When's the long term? The long term is you should invest it, never spend it, and die with all this money to be invested. If that's the answer, that's a bad advisor. You no, know, it's all about what the money's going to do for you. So if you're not spending time talking about what you want your money to do, if your advisor's not paying attention to what you want to do with your money, again, red flag, that's the warning. You might be in not a great place. Josh Hives the individual about putting this presentation together, because you know, showing this it was like, well, if you start putting a well, hundred dollars now versus a hundred dollars, 10 years now, how much work, grow and everything. But the problem with the perception mm-hmm. is that, again, that's the financial industry saying more is better. You need to give us more. You need to start earlier. And without an eye to actually paying attention to the client as to what they want to spend the money for, what their priorities are, this, that stuff is important. So. Josh is going to talk about questions that you may want to ask your financial advisor. Josh,
0: what's, what's your top five? We don't have five Colin. there's so many, how can I just go get me five? But Mm -hmm. I think the the point we've been trying to make is we want to ask many questions and as many questions as you ask, not everyone, unfortunately is going to have a black and white answer, not everyone should have a black and white answer. You should expect some shades of gray, actually. And some questions, unfortunately, may have no answer at all. So the advisor that you're working with should not hesitate when there's those shades of grade to tell you so. And there's also been a few times, by the way, that your advisor answers a question with a question of her own. So prepare for some complexity when you go through the questioning process and ask questions of your advisor. And more importantly than that, if you don't understand the answer, Be prepared to say so. That's a follow-up question. It's your advisor's job to explain things so that you can understand them. That is the most important part of what we do. And if they can't do that for you, then maybe they're not the great advisor for you. When you ask these questions, and just as I said before, you should be transparent with your advisor. They should also be transparent with you. When you ask your advisor, especially this, how they get paid. They should be able to tell you precisely. Your advisor, I guarantee it, knows how they get paid and how much they get paid. So if they're not being uh, very forth- forthright with you on that topic, that's a bit of a red flag. If they're convoluted in their answer, if they talk in obtuse answers, like, oh, if I do a good job for you, then this, or if you give me referrals, then this, then that's a red flag. So you should be able to ask your advisor about their compensation, about their team, about their credentials, about the products that they can offer you, about their business, and they should be able to give you clear and honest answers for every one of these questions. Now, speaking more about about fees, because it's honestly a hot topic these days, there are generally two ways that advisors get paid. The first is a commission-based advisor where you could, an advisor would be charging you a commission in an amount when they buy or sell a product for you. That product could be a stock, could be a fund, a mutual fund, or even an insurance policy. On the other hand, you have a fee-based relationship with an advisor and a fee-based relationship typically a set percentage fee on the value of the account on an annual basis. There are Areas for both, Not one is, one is not necessarily better than the other, it kind of depends what you're looking for. But really, when you're meeting with an advisor, or engaging in a relationship, and you're talking about how they get paid, you should be looking for potential barriers to getting unbiased advice. Really, what you want with your advisor is two things. The advice should be quality, it should be competent, and it should be unbiased. So if someone works for an insurance company, say, and they only provide insurance, and you're asking questions about debt, cash flow, or long-term investment planning, they may not be the best person to answer that question for you. There are some advisors, some financial professionals, that can only sell products that are administered or offered by the company that they work for. So again, maybe not completely unbiased in the advice that they're providing or the recommendations that's making. So you have to not only understand what you're paying, but understand what you're getting in exchange for what you're paying. Now, let's not just say that you should be afraid to pay for good advice. Keyword, good advice. If my toilet has a leak, for example, there's a few ways that I can handle it. I can try to tackle it on my own, look at a three-minute YouTube video and try to figure it out that way. Considering I don't know what the right end of the hammer is, that may not be the best option for me. I can call my buddy from down the street who's some mechanic He's a bit handy. He may be able to help me fix it. Or I can say, you know what? I just need a professional. I don't want to risk flooding my entire bathroom for a small leak. I'm going to get a, a plumber in here. He's going to do the job correctly. So you shouldn't be afraid to pay for advice, but you should understand exactly what you're getting for
1: that advice.
0: Now, Colin's going to give you a couple more things to look for in a financial advisor. So the next topic
1: of conversation is experience and credentials. And let me preface this by saying there are solid, good people who offer advice in absolutely every aspect of our industry. But it's difficult to know as a consumer when you walk in to talk to somebody, is this one of those people? So the experience and credentials game... Is a little bit of a way to slate you know, the, to, to tip the, the probability in your favor. So the first thing is experience. If you find somebody who's been in the industry for 30 years, okay, to draw the conclusion that they have learned over those 30 years and they're going to use that into your advantage to give you better advice, it's what most people think. Now, there are people who, you know, doing anything for 30 years, but they stop learning six months in and they're just doing the same thing over and over again. And maybe, the well, experience doesn't do you any good. So it's not a silver bullet. It's not, if someone's got 30 years experience, obviously they're good. Obviously they know what they're doing. Therefore I should just listen to them. So it doesn't solve all of the issues. The other thing well, for credentials, and there are many TLA's up there 3 the little acronyms that people throw after the name that mean varieties of things now. We we're, we're going to put the resource on the website that's not there now, Explain what all the different yeah, types of uh, credentials are, what they can be. And give a bit of a description, but a, a standard credential, because like somebody like myself with a CPA, I, uh, that tunnel's an individual that number one, I'm a little committed to getting better at my craft. I took time, I took effort, I took money. I invested in myself to try to improve my ability. The other thing that comes with many of the designations, many of the top tier designations, like the CFA that, Josh holds is a, an obligation to, to con- do continuing ed. All right. So we have committed a certain number of hours per year to improve ourselves. And so we have to demonstrate that to our bodies that will receive the designations. So when you find somebody with credentials, you have somebody who's at least not the laziest person you've ever met because they've invested through time. To invest their own money, ostensibly to make themselves a better advisor in one way, shape or form. And they further committed to upholding the ethical standards and the professional practice standards that those bodies will, will put in place for them. So again, this doesn't, it isn't a silver bullet, but it is an indication that somebody at least is willing to put in some effort and they have an obligation to maintain somewhat current. Apologize. Not cold with dry air, just, just everybody's safe. We're all, we're all there. So the other than the experiences and credentials, decisions is the next thing. Who makes them hourly made? So when you're talking to an advisor, you should ask the question, what you're talking to an investment advisor, how do you decide what you put in your portfolio? How do you make investment decisions? What's your buying discipline? What's your sell discipline? How do you decide? Now this will tell you a lot about the advisor because they've got that with complete answer to that question, and if there's a process involved, again, it's an indication that somebody's taking their stuff seriously. If there's not a good answer there, or as I said, the paper on Saturday morning and I like, read an article and I pick things from that, that's not as good as we have a disciplined five-step process that our team runs this, 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 and this, and this over, and we keep these records and this. And this. If it's a more complete answer, then again, hopefully from that, you become more confident and comfortable when all, all these answers are coming to you, the, 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 the way you should score them is, does that answer make me feel more confident and more comfortable? Now, at this point, we'll talk about expectations of advisors, because sometimes someone will go see an advisor that's like, I'm going to give him my money, he's going to do what he needs to do. Yeah, need to think about this. Now that's a dangerous assumption because most financial advisors have an obligation for suitability. Yeah. They must speak to the client before they make any change. So as a regular investment advisor, you come on as a client. I do all my risk profiles, paper the account. Now, if I need to make a change or want to make a change in the account, I've got to call you, get you on the phone, explain to you what the emerging market is and why that's bad right now and why you want to sell. I have to get you to not and down and agree with it. Then I can place the trade in your account. So if your expectation was that advisor was just going to do things for you, then that expectation will not be met. In order to have an advisor who can do those kinds of things for you, you need to find somebody who's a portfolio manager, like Josh or myself, who has the ability to take on a discretionary account. In those situations, the accounts are, are papered a little bit more thoroughly. We do a little bit more of a thorough job in establishing objectives and risk profiles, but once we do. We, we take that extra due diligence to more of a fiduciary standard. We now can move in and out of things within the parameters that we have set in your account. So the difference will be there is when you come in to talk to us, it's going to be hey, did you get the roof replaced on the that cottage you talked about last year? Did that, that, that go pretty well? Did it cost more or less than we expected? It? Did you get your will review like we talked about last time? The conversation can be more about. Well, your planning, your taxes, your goals and objectives, rather than trying to explain to you, again, an inverted yield curve or a negative interest rate, or any of the other investment conversations that I love to have, that Josh and I love to have together, but not all of the clients love to have them. So who makes who the decisions and how the decisions get made are very important things that will tell you a lot, both the advice you're dealing with and whether or not they can meet your expectations. But listen, all at the end of the, end of the day, it all comes down to trust. This is not a silver bullet since this is the goal of chalice that you're reaching for you're looking to trust somebody. So what we hopefully have done here today is line up some of the questions you can ask, some of the holes you can dig in. But at the end of the, the answers coming from the advisor needs to make you feel you can trust them. You should feel more confident. You should feel more comfortable. You should feel at ease. Do you have an advisor? can do those kinds of things for you, then you are likely in a very good spot. So, you know, how much can I rely on the advice? So how much security do I feel with the advice? So what kind of confidence are they bringing to the table? What kind of assurances have I received about my situation? Are they committed to me? Are they providing? Are they reaching out to contacting me? What, what ways are they doing that? Am I happy and confident and comfortable with that? And have they demonstrated integrity? Those are all of the intangible kinds of things you can really only judge over time. You can only keep an eye on, but that this is the scorecard. At the end of the day, you should feel more confident, more comfortable, more at ease with yourself by working with an advisor. And hopefully, today we've given you some of the things that will help you do that. Now, the final point that we'll make here today is talking about flexibility, because this is a big deal. Life doesn't go in a straight line. Hello, pandemic. So all of the plans that you've made should adjust to the situation. Your goals and objectives can change. You can decide to put different priorities on things. So if that happens, you should expect that your advisor is reacting to it. Again, the the investment industry as a rule is saying you should put your money away. Once you have to spend it, never just always leave it here because it's going to grow for the future. That's a bad answer. The better answer is how can your money serve you? So again, we a pandemic year. So, taxes are going to be a little bit different this year. Oh, maybe I should change my army or take a little bit out right now. Or, you no, know, all these kinds of things are happening. So, there should be some flexibility in the advice that comes from your advisor and flexibility in how you accomplish and some creativity. And yet, if you find somebody who's been in the industry for 20 or 30 years, but they stop worrying after six months, they're not going to come to the table with different ideas or more nuanced approaches and be less likely to react to events in your life in a way that's positive to you, again, they should be making you feel more confident, after all, calm about your situation and reacting to what's going on in the world and reacting to what's going on in your world, specifically. So I get, I think, I hope that we've, we've done a job today about laying things out for you in a way that makes a little bit of sense and gives you a little bit more ammunition. I do know that there's so many clients to so I can't wait to be at these people who take what they learned here today and bring it back to the office. So that's, that's what we'll make, the, make for some interesting times. So Josh, I have it in front of me. Do we have any questions popped up?
0: We do have some questions popping up here. I just wanted to say first, if you want to learn more about, about us or our business or the people that we have on our team, you can visit our website, which is listed here on, on the screen. Okay, so just going to the questions here. I did see one question comment from the audience and I think you'll love this one, call. So where can I find financial advisors? I do not trust banks because they are trying to sell their products. Is there an association website to find one with qualifications? Take it away. Well,
1: yeah, okay. So there's multiple websites. So you can go on either the op- the CFP have a website where you can find an advisor in your, in your area. The different organizations like, you know, IROC now that, because these are all hold lists of advisors, but frankly, just Google, just Google financial advisor in your neighborhood. And if you want to go through and select all of the ones from the major institutions that you feel don't have your best interest at in heart, you just skip over those ones and then you can form a short list, get down to, okay, here is Many advisors will, should have, in my opinion, a good online presence where so you can go online and learn quite a bit about them, what their credentials are, what their experience is, they should be providing some content, some commentary. So if you read a commentary, you're watching video, you by an advisor and you say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm comfortable watching that. These credentials make me feel comfortable. Then you may want to invest the time to have a, a meeting. And that meeting can be a video meeting, a phone call or in person meeting, but you know, do a little bit of homework and. Make sure you've got a reasonable chance of success. Because again, it can be exhausting. I don't know about you, but I hate shopping. I go in, pair of shoes, hey, it fits. boom, well, I'm done, I'm out. Shopping an advisor can be painful. I get that because you don't know when you walk into the room what you're going to, what kind of conversation you're going to have. If you walk out feeling demoralized, stupid, then, you know, it's going to be difficult to suck up the energy to go try to have another meeting where you're afraid that the same thing is going to happen. But I would suggest just to go Google search is probably your best bet. And then just go through and weed out the ones that being able to work for institutions that you are worried about, and take a look at the online collateral. And you can cross reference that material with CFP, IROC, you know, They all have uh, different databases where you can search for individual advisors to learn more.
0: about them. Sorry, i yeah, just going to add. I just want to clarify. You said CFP a couple times there, so CFPs Certified Financial Planners. That's a designation that's that's usually a pretty helpful one when you're looking for some financial advice. Uh, And the website or the organization that you want to go to for that is FP Canada. So if you Google FP Canada, you should be able to find a database of uh, certified financial planners in your area. The other that Colin mentioned is IROC. That's an acronym, I-I-R-O-C. And it's uh, sort of the licensing body across Canada for for financial advisors. So you can go on their website and you could do a search by me to find financial advisors. It will give you their their licensing. It's not going to give you their credentials, but it will tell you what their license is. And it could do sort of a a little bit of background check to see if they have any complaints against them in the past.
1: Thanks, Josh, for for pointing out my grievous errors by using those acronyms and not explaining them because that's that's what a bad advisor does. And I just thought that right there is an example of how a bad advisor talks. So thanks for fixing that up for me.
0: So just going to the next one here, Colin. We have some more questions coming in. So well, what about an inheritance? I'm expecting? How do I plan with that money?
1: Well, it's uh, that's at your discretion. So we have a range, so again, what a good advisor I suggest would do would ask you how you want to plan with that. So some people will tell me. Uh, hey, I've got this inheritance is out there. So radical transparency, they share it. And my question is, well, do we want to count on it? Do you want me to put a number into your projection that reflects what you expect? Or... And many people will say, no, just leave it out. I want to be completely self-sufficient on my own, but we, we both need to know there's something out there that may change this. Fair enough. Let's just stick that over there. And we, we go, into do a plan. Other people will say, well, you know what? Five years from now is a good chance I want to have it, so let's model Having X amount of money show up in five years time. So if that's what you expect and that's what you want to see, and that's what you want to count on, perfect. I'm not going to give you a probability on whether or not the relative you're looking at is going to be dead or alive at that point. But if you have made the assessment that that's what you'd like to look at and not say you want to look on it, good advisor, I think we'll take that at base value, put it in your plan and show it to you. Again, will maybe point out the fact that making those kinds of analysis it's sometimes risky, but if folks understand the risks, then we'll put it in. And you, the whole coin is, I'm trying to give you information you can make decisions with. So if that helps you make decisions later, Then
0: that's what we'll do. So some more questions here. I'm going to take this one. So what should I do if I know I have a major life change coming, like a baby or a divorce? How much do I share with my advisor? Wow. <laughs> Ah, so it'd be a good one. So as I talked about before, transparency is very, very helpful for your advisor, for any advisor. So the more that you are comfortable sharing, and the sooner you can share that, the better. For example, one of the, the comments in there is divorce. If, if you are having some marital issues, it's probably a good thing to tell your advisor that, because some of the advice that they're going to provide to you is going to be important. It's probably going to change if you're having some narrative challenges. Same with the bait. Maybe a little bit simpler with a new child, but immediately insurance comes to mind. So the sooner that advisor will know that, that these life changes are happening, I think the better that they're going to be able to provide you advice. And they should, again, be asking questions of how much the chair You don't really know. The advisor should be asking questions to try to peel back the layers of that onion Kind of get to the core, really understand what's going on under the space.
1: There's a, another question came in here, Josh. I'd like to take this one because it's my, it's a bit of a soapbox for me. I'm going to do a little bit of a rant if everybody will indulge me for a moment. It's I'm moving to a new province. Can I get an advisor there? So in the, uh, my old province in Nova Scotia, the People's Republic of Nova Scotia, if I apply and moved to France, well, that's okay. I can talk to them and I can continue to try to work with someone then so advice to support to them. If they cross the border into New Brunswick, I'm no longer qualified. So I have to contact the authorities in New Brunswick and do an application so that I'm licensed to deal with somebody in that province. Canada, the provincial, the all the provincial loans are the ones that control the regulation of the financial industry. So if you leave from one province to another, your advisor has got a choice to make. It'll, maybe they already have. Maybe they are already licensed in that province. But if they're not, they're going to need to become licensed in that. So if they are, or if they do, then if you like them, then you can continue dealing with them from a distance, right? Some people choose to do that because they have a good relationship. The video thing is great. They like phone calls. They to travel back to that home spot to see them in person from time to time. So if your advisor is in a position where they can, and they are allowed to register in other provinces because your employer will let them, then you can deal across conventional waters but it's a choice It's an expense, quite frankly, for the advisor to be able to offer that service. So they may or may not be in a position to do it or willing to do it. So the other side of the coin is you may choose that you want somebody closer to you. You may want an advisor that's more physically present for you. And if that's important to you, then there's nothing wrong with that. That's your choice. And and you should go through the process of interviewing to find a new advisor in the location that you find yourself. So there can be, you can get forced to make a change depending on how your advisor is set up. But more likely it's going to become your choices as to how do you want to receive your financial advice, whether you want it more of a person or if you're okay to set a distance, most of the time, maybe not see your advisor as much.
0: Another good one here for you, Colin. How do I help friends and family who I know need an advisor, but we don't usually talk finances with one of
1: them? Yeah, this, 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 this is great. So, you know, and you're working with somebody and and you've got that trust relationship and everybody's feeling warm and tingly and they're they're feeling really at ease about their finances. And they look at the brother who's never been able to save a nickel in his life. He just bought a boat and uh, the family's got no idea how he's going to retire. And they come in and say, can you help my brother? I'm not Dr. Phil or Oprah and and I'm not allowed to do interventions. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to help that person. So expecting. Yeah, an introduction to a financial advisor is all of a sudden going to radically change somebody's spending habits and the way they're living. Well, is putting way too much pressure on me, we're not nearly that good. So if somebody is in the family is looking for advice because they feel like bad advice or they get questions, they want a second opinion. Oh, absolutely. In those cases, an introduction to another financial advisor, one of us is, is great. We want because that's the kind of work that we can do. So I guess I would set the expectation. That we're not going to be able to change somebody's DNA. they no longer like boats to buy or horseback ready or whatever. But if they have money questions, if they're already that far along and they're already at the tingle, absolutely sit at the table, it helps them out. Now, apparently, the challenge is, is that because you're talking about family, there's probably Christmas gift incident from 30 years ago that's still hanging over your relationship where somebody doesn't trust somebody like somebody. Families and money is what makes this all interesting. Anyway, every morning when we wake up and going to work. So that's you're gonna to have to kind of sort through that. But what most people will take a referral from a trusted source and that's a good starting point. That typically what the person's gonna do is they're gonna go and let it because everybody googles everybody. Now, I know I don't go anywhere without Google where I'm going. And thinking well, what's the middle pop on? So there's a whole process that people will go through. But just don't expect that we're going to be able to work any kind of miracles and take your 16-year-old kid and commit some of the shit out of an RSP and start putting away 50% of the paper running. I'm sorry, that's beyond our powers.
0: Yeah, I think you, using the life events for a lot of people can be sort of that foot in the door to encourage them to go do something. Oh, when you just had a new baby, you should go here. You just bought a house. You should go here, talk to all these people, straight this out full, or you've got a new job. You yeah. know, it's time to have a conversation about savings. I think those life events, not just for you as, as sort of the individual based the referral, but also for, for those individuals that are experiencing that life, event. they probably know that, that they're due to, to talk to somebody a little bit more seriously about their financial situation. And yeah, Josh, I'll throw one more to you. How often should I check in with oh, my advisor? Yeah, another great question. So uh, another thing that's very, very individual. Some people may not want to hear from their advisor more than once every year two, and that's perfectly fine. Others may want to in a chat every three months. It really, to me, depends on, on two things. One, your personal preference. If you want to meet with your advisor every three months, then you should ask both to meet them every three months. The other is your, your financial situation, your life situation. And if you're already retired, your cash flow is pretty stable, both in and out cash flow and expense is pretty stable and you're not really experiencing a whole lot of change from, from year to year or month to month, then sort of longer periods of time between meetings is, is probably suitable. If you're just starting out, you're having kids, you're buying houses, you're changing jobs every few years, then more frequent meetings is probably appropriate for you. So depending on those two things, both your personal preference and the the financial situation that you find yourself in and your advisor should be able to provide some guidance as well about how frequently it would be, be recommended to meet with them.
1: So at this point, I'm going to do something for our incredibly hard working marketing person, Catherine, who's put this all together for us because she's working with a bunch of geeky guys who really don't know what we're doing. And it had never occurred to us to include in this presentation, like, Hey, if anything you said here is interesting to you and would like to contact us, we'd be more than willing to have a chat with you because that just doesn't occur to me. But she is so hardworking, and she is working with, with not a whole lot So I thought we should actually make that point today. So if anything today has triggered with you, that you or somebody would like to reach out to us in particular, we welcome the phone call. We would be excited by the phone call. More importantly, cancer would be very, very gratified by the phone call. So just to make sure that that's nice and explicit for you.
0: And Colin, we just had another question from you here. So I'm going to throw this one to you. From a practical standpoint, what sort of advice kind of can financial advisors give other than the audience? So it looks like it's coming from the perspective of somebody who uses a robo-advisor and they understand the basics about RSPs and TSAs. So as you go through the, the log list of things that you've spoken with clients about over the years, what stands out to you as some kind of common themes that come up regularly? I mean, this,
1: this can be a very long conversation, but I think the most succinct way of putting it is perspective. When a financial advisor, and I've been at this almost 30 years now, I've spent 30 years talking to people who are retiring. I've gone through the full range of emotions that people go through. We went through the tragedies of, of losing family members going into retirement or our in retirement. The perspective that a professional financial advisor who works hard at his craft can bring to the table is irreplaceable. It's not about beating a market or being smarter than the market or any of that stuff. It's about what what structure should this all take? What markets should I be in? How much should be exposed to the markets? How much should be my my emergency fund? How do I plan my taxes? The TMSA versus RSB. Oh, wait a second, a budget came down today. Does the new budget affect what I'm doing? There are so many intricacies that go into efficiently and effectively accomplishing whatever goals you set for yourself that that do-it-yourself or just cannot stay on top of. The wealth of experience The dedicated financial advisor can bring to the table in making that decision and point out to you the things that maybe you haven't considered yet because you don't have those grandkids, but I know when you have grandkids, that's going to change your priorities. And we have that conversation early and then you're able to more fully form your own thoughts about what's important to you and more true to yourself and avoid making some mistakes that are very easy to make
0: I think it's just to sum up it's more than just investments it's the investment side, education savings charitable get it, tax, insurance, state planning all of these things when you look at all of them individually you come to different conclusions looking at the the full broad picture as a whole
1: it's all about Using what you have to most efficiently and effectively accomplish what's important to you. That's what it's about.
0: Looks like that's it, there to call it. So once again, we just want to thank everybody out there for spending their time with us today. We really appreciate all the time that you've spent with us. So long, everybody. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of I, Private Wealth, Inc. iPrivate Wealth, Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. I, Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which I, Private
1: Wealth, Inc. operates. <sighs> You've done well and you feel set up for retirement, but you can't help but feel like there are aspects of your financial plan that just haven't been addressed. Maybe there's money left on the table, a tax efficiency or opportunity for growth that isn't being properly managed. Doesn't hurt to check. Sticking with, eh, it's good enough, wealthplanning.com or .ca isn't gonna do you any favors. Call us for a better opinion.